going to look at be ye separate this morning. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, <clears throat> this is one of those messages that we, we can get the wrong end of the stick on this. Uh, we can look at this message as though it's kind of completely contrary to love and all the good things that we want in the Bible. But there's a truth here <clears throat> that if we don't grasp and get a hold of, we're always going to struggle in our Christian lives. Right? The spirit of our age is a spirit of tolerance. It's a spirit of uh, let's all be friends. It's a spirit of kind of break down the barriers and uh, let's, not, let, let, let's not let anything between us. But the reality is that there are things that come between us and we have to actually reckon on them and we have to deal with them. Now, what I want to do this morning as we look at this, I want to deal with the text, but we're going to deal with the text in the second part of the message. Uh, in the first part of the message, we're just going to go through the biblical history, if you like, of this doctrine of separation. And we're going to see how, how important it is to us. And then we're going to take them, we're going to apply it. Now, let me say this to you too. When we talk about uh, come out from among them and be ye separate, very often the application is in marriage. And that's right. It, it, it applies there. But that's not the only application to this thing. This thing is about us and a heavenly father who loves us and wants us for himself. And he wants us to draw away from anything that would come between him and us and be separate unto him. And that's really the heart of what we're looking at. We're looking at the idea that God wants us for himself. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We'll read our text, and then we will pray. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Father, would you bless us now as we look to your word? Lord, would you bless me as I speak? Uh, we claim your power for this moment. And uh, Lord, we do ask you, Lord, that you would help your people to hear. And Lord, may you have your will and your way in every heart in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right, let's talk about separation first of all. Do you realize that God wants you for himself? That's an incredible thought, isn't it? God wants you for himself. But that's real. That's true. Um, Adam and Eve were created, but from the moment they were created, they were separate from creation. Right? <clears throat> they were part of, but they were separate. Uh, you see, they were made in God's image. And God made Adam and Eve to fellowship with him. He wanted them for himself. You, you could actually look at it this way, that God created the world and all the things and the creatures and everything else in the world for Adam and Eve so that they would glorify God. But Adam and Eve, he created for himself. He wanted them. And, and all of history, you know, in spite of everything that's going on and all the ups and downs and the ins and outs and everything else, that's what God is after. God is after a people for himself. He's looking for a people for himself. In Deuteronomy 14, verse 2, God says to the nation of Israel, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. He chose them 
to be a peculiar people unto him above all the nations that were on the earth, right? <clears throat> now, when, <clears throat> when Adam and Eve sinned, things changed. It was a perfect deal uh, until then. There was God, there was Adam and Eve, and there would have been their children. There would have been that relationship that was perfect. Uh, they were separate from everything else. But when they sinned, two groups were introduced into the whole thing. Right? There was, there was sin. There was Cain and his sin and his seed that was going to uh, sin. And then the Bible talks about Seth. And then men began to call upon the Lord. So uh, they had a son, and that son began to call upon the Lord. And there was a godly line, and there was an ungodly line. And there was supposed to be a separation between them, but there wasn't. In Genesis chapter 6, it tells us that the sons of God married daughters, the daughters of men. And um, I believe what that means is the godly line of Seth... And the ungodly light of Cain began to intermingle. And you know what it resulted in? In Genesis chapter 6 in the flood. God destroying the earth because that separation had failed. It had broken down. They were no longer making a difference. They were no longer being separated unto him and being different. Uh, in Genesis chapter 19, <clears throat> we see before that we see Lot separating from Uncle Abraham, which was a bad idea. Uh, but what we see in, in Lot, we see Lot separating from Uncle Abraham, and then he goes and he dwells in Sodom. And he becomes part of Sodom. And in chapter 19, he's sitting in the gates of Sodom. He's one of the elders, or the counselors, uh, so to speak, of Sodom. And Sodom is going to get burned up, because it's an offense unto God, but Lot's going to lose everything because of this. See, the separation thing is, is, is huge. Lot needed to make a difference between him uh, and, uh, and the, um, <clears throat> the rest of the people. Um, <clears throat> the nation then became part of Egypt. Now, that was fine, by the way. God sent them down into Egypt. Egypt was a greenhouse to grow a nation. You know, 72 people went down, 2.5 million people came out. So it was fine for them to go down to Egypt. They were going down to God's command. The problem for them is that when they went down to Egypt... Not alone were they in Egypt, but Egypt got into them. And somebody put it this way. Somebody said that it's okay for a boat to be in the water. But when the water gets in the boat, that's different altogether. <clears throat> and that's what happened. What happened for the nation when they went down to Egypt uh, is that Egypt got into them and they became uh, idolatrous like the Egyptians. And so that when God brought them out with all those miracles and wonders, they still had Egypt in them and they wanted to go back. They wanted to be part of it. And that whole first generation would die in the wilderness and God would bring the second generation in. Why? Because they let Egypt into them. The book of Leviticus is legislation for separation. Every part of the lives of his people would demonstrate their separation unto him. I mean, if you were a Jew in the Old Testament living by the Levitical law, you were different. And everybody knew you were different and you knew you were different. Now, there were problems with that as well. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but you were different. And this nation were created to be different because, remember, God had brought the flood and now he wanted a nation that he could take and that he could be his special people and that would be the apple of his eye, his chosen people. And so God, being God, <clears throat> makes a nation to do it. In the book of Judges, uh, they are given the land uh, that God told them he was going to give them, <clears throat> and they are told to separate from the inhabitants in the most extreme way. They were to rout the inhabitants out of the land completely. And God warned them, if you don't, they will be a thorn in your side. They will be a problem for you. 
And you know what? They didn't. And God was right, they were. And eventually they lost the land because they hadn't gotten rid of the people they were supposed to get rid of in the land. They hadn't separated. They became part of it. They became part of what was going on. <clears throat> then the kingdom starts uh, in mighty power. David is a man of God. He is separated unto God. He loves God and he walks with God. And, and listen, he doesn't get it all right. He messes up. Uh, and his messing up is, is accounted very clearly. But if we look at David's life, David is God's man all his life. Everybody knows that. And then the kingdom is passed on to Solomon and it knows its glory days. But Solomon is supposed to separate from certain women. There are wives he's not supposed to have and Solomon doesn't. Solomon does what he thinks, right? He makes alliances that he thinks are going to work. He's the wisest man in all the world. He thinks, surely I will not be affected by it. But he is. And by the time Solomon dies, the kingdom is divided because of his sin, and it's downhill after that. It just goes downhill after that. Um, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, the Israelites marry strange wives, and the, you know, drastic means are taken to, to, to rectify the situation. And we can, we can look at many more things in the Old Testament where this, this idea, this principle of separation, uh, wasn't actually applied in people's lives always. Always with a high cost. Always with a high cost. Then you come to the New Testament. In the New Testament, <clears throat> we have the Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh, come down to redeem his people. But <clears throat> you know what? By this time, Israel don't want God. He's getting in the way of everything. And they actually separate from him unto Rome. Remember when Jesus was about to be crucified, they say, we have no king but Caesar. They choose Caesar over Jesus. And that costs them the land again. Seventy years later, they're going to lose everything again. Everything is going, they're going to lose all of it uh, because of the choice they make. And then we have the church. And the church uh, is different to all the other ages. In, in, in this, God, God looked at us and he knew we wouldn't. And so what he did was he put his spirit in us. To enable us. To enable us to be separate, to be his special people. Peter says this. He says in 1 Peter 2, 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, the word peculiar there means this. A particular treasure to God. Now, your mother might have told you you were her treasure, but probably very few people since then have told you that you were their treasure. But do you know that you're God's treasure? Do you know that God is that interested in your life? That you're God's treasure, that God says you're a peculiar people, uh, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you're a peculiar, you're a treasure, a special treasure to God. You're, you're in a sense what all of this creation and Jesus going to the cross and everything is about. You're, you're what it's about because he wants you. He wants that relationship with you. He wants you to be special to him. He wants you to be separated from the world unto him. He wants the world to know him through you. Doesn't want you out of the world. He wants you to separate from the world. He wants the world to know him through you. I mean, it's really powerful. 
if we let it in, if we let the truth of it uh, in. Now, <clears throat> let me say, say a couple of things about, <clears throat> about separation before we look at our, uh, our text, and we won't spend a long time looking at our text, right? First of all, separation is not external. Okay, separation is not external. Now, it will manifest itself in external ways, but separation is not external. Separation is something of the heart. Separation is, I am removing myself from this because I love him that much. That's what separation is. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for you to turn away from some things and to turn unto him. And it's not external. See, the Pharisees were very good at the externals. And I mean, if you met the Pharisees, uh, we recognize them as hypocrites because that's what they were. But the reality is they didn't think they were hypocrites. They were obeying the letter of the law as far as they concerned. They dressed it. They talked it. They did it. They were just all about the law. But you know what the reality is that when it came down to it, they separated themselves from God. Unto Caesar, well, really, unto their own way and their own thing. You see, separation is not just external. I think when we focus on the externals, it's very easy for us to get off track. It's very easy for us to make those external things, you know, I I live this way, I do this, I wear this, I look like that. It's very easy for us to make those things the reality when they're not. Because your heart is going to be what's kind of, do you really love them that much? Do you really? Sometimes I think what happens is we separate onto our crowd, and we call that separating onto God. That's what the, the, what the Pharisees did. They separated onto. The, they all looked the same. They all did the same, but they really weren't separated onto God. And God wants you with a passion. God wants relationship with you with a passion. I mentioned it already, but separation is not primarily about marriage. The passage deals with our hearts removing ourselves from some things because we want Him. And separation begins in a heart that wants God more than what the world has to offer. Now catch that. I think that's important. Separation begins in a heart that wants God more than what the world has to offer. See, the world is constantly offering, isn't it? It's constantly drawing. It's constantly compelling. It's constantly trying to seduce us in one way or the other. Always. But separation in a heart is a heart that says, I want God. What, what you've got to offer me, world, couldn't satisfy me because I want him. And you know, when you separate yourself in that way, he sees and he knows and he responds. You see, God loves us. And his heart and his passion is to bless us. And separation uh, in its ultimate working out is Coming into a relationship with him where you've chosen him over self, over the world, over others. And because you've chosen that, you've got him in a measure that you can't have him otherwise. All right, now let's look at our passage. First of all, it says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I, you know, when we talk about an unequal yoke, um, what does that mean to us? Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But let's read the passage, and then I'll try and explain it to you. Uh, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? 
Right? How can two walk together unless they be agreed, the Old Testament says. Um, when we talk about an unequal yoke, uh, if we were plowing a field, this would have been a picture that, that, that every, everybody Jesus was speaking to would have understood. If we were plowing a field and we decided to put a big strong ox on one side of it and a little small donkey that could barely touch the ground beside the ox on the other side of the thing, what we would end up doing is we would end up with the ox not only having to pull the plow, but pull the donkey as well, because the donkey couldn't help him at all. <clears throat> he, wouldn't, he, he wouldn't be able to help in that situation. He would actually be a hindrance to him in the situation. It just wouldn't work. People would understand that that's impossible. You can't do that. It's not going to work. And if we went about doing it, we would realize you just can't do that. And so what he's saying to us is, is that <clears throat> you, you, you can't have this unequal yoke between believers and unbelievers. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. It's, it, it's impossible for it to actually work. You can't make this happen. It's not going to work. And then he gives us five pictures that demonstrate it. Um, he says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Well, what fellowship does unrighteousness, does righteousness have with unrighteousness? It doesn't, does it? What fellowship does, does, does the judge have uh, with the burglar? None. And if he does, we're kind of wondering what's going on, aren't we? Uh, we're wondering what's going on there. Why are you involved in this situation? Right? Now, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? Now, you and I are going to have a hard time with this because what we think, well, well I'm not that righteousness. I'm not perfect. Now, it's not talking about how perfect you are. It's talking about, about the fact that you're a blood-bought child of God and you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ and you have imputed righteousness. In other words, you have the cloak of Jesus' righteousness in your life even if you don't live as well as you should. And he says, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Well, none. Right? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now, this is an interesting idea, isn't it? How do you mix light and darkness? You can't, actually. You, you, you have one or the other. Now you say, well, hang on, I've got shades of light when the, when the, when the, the light is getting brighter. But no, you can't mix the two. You've got light and you've got darkness. You've, you've got both, but you, 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 you can't mix them uh, effectively. You can have less light and you can have more light, but you can't have light and darkness mixed together. And <clears throat> there's no communion between light and darkness. And communion is that fellowship, that sweet intimacy, you can't have that with darkness. You say, well, hang on a minute, Pastor. I have family that are unsaved and I love them. Yeah, listen, I'm glad you love them. And you should love them and you should try to help them all you can and you should try to be the best. But you know, the reality is if you're true to who you are, there are going to be times when they're going to have to keep quiet and you're going to have to keep quiet. That's just the reality of life. Because the communion breaks down at a certain point, because light and darkness, you can't mix them. Right? <clears throat> and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Well, the word concord there is actually the word symphony. Well, you know when you have a symphony, you know when the instruments all play? Well, they all tune up at the beginning of it. It sounds dreadful when they're tuning up. But if they don't tune up, it sounds a whole lot more dreadful when they start playing, right? <clears throat> because if what they're doing is they're trying to get all the instruments on the right pitch and tune together. And if you don't tune them up, you won't be able to discern what they're playing at all if they're enough out of tune. And he says that, he says, 
what symphony does Christ have with Belial? And Belial is a name used for the devil, but it's, it's the name means worthlessness or the worthless one. Well, what, what symphonies are going to be between Christ and the devil? Well, you know, I've looked at the Bible and I don't see much. And you know, there's not going to be in your life either, right? And then he says, and what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? You know what? That's going to be difficult. That's going to be really difficult because you're not going to find a common ground at all. Now, you say, hang on a minute, Pastor. That presents all kinds of problems. I'm married to somebody who's not saved. How am I going to, get, how am I going to deal with that? Well, you know, the, on, the honest part of it, it's going to be difficult. Anyone that's in that situation will pretty quickly say it to you. You know, that's a difficult situation because, you know, it's hard for us to have a symphony. It's hard for us to uh, have, uh, you know, uh, communion together because there, there, there are so many differences when we scratch deeper than the surface. When we begin to look at those things, it gets hard to deal with those things. But you know what? The Bible does cover it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and it says, listen, uh, if they're willing to stay, then you're supposed to stay too. And you know what? God may well save that husband or that wife, if you will stay with them and let God work in their hearts and in their lives, you're supposed to stay. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, remove your, your vow. By the way, if you're not married, you shouldn't even be thinking of marrying somebody who's not saved. It's never going to work. How are you going to do that? How are you going to get this to work? Somebody's going to have to dumb down uh, completely uh, in order for it to work, and that's what happens. Somebody has to dumb down. I read that Mark Twain married a believer. He wasn't a believer himself. That he married a believer. And the, and the lady refused him several times. But finally she gave in. And so they got married. Well, uh, the story goes that later in their lives, there was a crisis in their lives. And <clears throat> she was in a really bad way. And he said this to her. He said to her, if your Christian faith will give you any comfort, then go back to it. And her answer was a stark, I have none. I have none. She had walked away from it, and in her, in her heart, there was no relationship between her and God. I don't know whether she was, she was saved or not, uh, but in her heart, there was no relationship between her and God. And that's what happens. You know, <clears throat> you can't even think of it. And you say, but hang on a minute. I'm not all that sure that I want to go, go this deep about it. No, listen, you need to. You need to understand. And it's not about you being happy or you not being happy. And it's not about, you know, somebody being a drunkard and beating you and all the rest. No, it's not about that. It's just about God says, I want you for myself. And if you do this thing, it's going to present a block between you and I. It's going to present a problem between us. It's going to present a difficulty between us. Don't do it. Now, what about a business? You get this great business idea and you've got this um, really great guy who has the money and he, he, he wants to invest it in it, but he's not saved. But you're going to have a partnership and he's going to have 50% and you're going to have 50%. When you get the money and you get to do your business and so on, don't do it. I guarantee you there's going to be disagreements. If you want to follow God and live for God in the business world, you're going to have a hard time with somebody who doesn't. You're going to have to deal with that issue. You're going to have to be careful about that. What about spiritual issue? What about us, <clears throat> us joining uh, with some church that are not believers? Never going to work. It's impossible. 
you know, you can't have communion between two totally different strains. Now remember, the Bible gives us a clear illustration. Jesus did when he was speaking to the Pharisees. Gives us a clear illustration of the difference between us, right? What did he say to the Pharisees? He said in John eight fifty eight, Ye are of your father the devil. Now, that's a horrible thing to say, isn't it? But you know, there was a time when I was of my father the devil. In fact, I spent 26 years of my life as my father of the de- <clears throat> as a child of my father of the devil. Now, if you'd looked at me and known me, you would have said, oh, he's not so bad. I, <clears throat> but that didn't matter. Spiritually, that's who I was. That's what I was. I don't go, you, you don't want to go around telling people that because you're going to get them mighty upset uh, if you tell them that, right? <clears throat> but that's what the Bible says. That's the reality. Now, when, you, when I got saved, I got adopted. I got changed from the devil's family and I became a son of God. Different kind of a creature altogether. A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I became completely different. So that, you know what? Really, the the person I am now and the person I was then may look somewhat the same, but the reality is we're totally different. Because I got saved. I'm a child of God. Now you say, but pastor, that's pretty exclusive. You know, we need, to, we need to reconcile ourselves with this. In an inclusive age, when everybody wants to be included, when everybody wants to be in, we need to understand Christianity is exclusive. Who's, ex- who's excluded? Anybody who will not come to Jesus Christ is excluded. Anybody who will not be born again. It's not a color or anything else. It's just whether you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior. And we need to understand that because of what he's done in our lives, we're different. Now look, <clears throat> I know, I understand where you're coming from. It seems so harsh. But it's biblical reality. And unless you bite into it, it's going to do you damage. You're different. Sometimes I think when we, when we talk to somebody about getting saved, we really should warn them about some things. <clears throat> you know, we, we should warn you, know, God's going to step into your life and he's going to make some changes in your life. And he's not going to ask your buy and leave. He's going to, he's going to actually get, get to work in your life and begin to make some changes in your life. And one of the realities is you're going to be different. You're going to be separated from the world unto him because that's who you are. And either you recognize that principle and you live that principle, or what you're going to find is you're going to find trouble in your life. Because he wants you with a passion. He wants you with a passion, and he's not going to be happy uh, for you to be going somewhere else. Uh, Look at our next point. You are the temple of the living God. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What does it mean when God says, you are the temple of the living God? Well, what it means is that the moment you got saved, the Spirit of God came in, and he came in to stay. The seal of your sonship is the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. Now, there are times in your life when that may have seemed very powerful, and there are times when it seems like it's weaker. But the reality is, it's always true. It is always true. He is always there. That's not just a theological truth. 
That's a reality of my life. The Spirit of God dwells in me, and he has done since the moment I knelt by my bed and asked him to save me. He, he did. And he's in your life too. The Spirit of God is there. <clears throat> That's real. <clears throat> he is there. Now, that changes everything. Look, this is our church, right? And, you know, we value our church. There are lots of stuff that we wouldn't do in our church. There are things that we just wouldn't have in our church. You know, we don't do those things because our church is important. Do you realize that the church is nothing like the temple? The church is just a building where we meet. The temple was the place where the Jews actually met with God. God was in that temple. In the Holy of Holies, resting on the cherubim, God was there. The reality of his presence to the people was a scary thing. You know, <clears throat> if you went in there, uh, you could die. You had to be holy. You had to be clean when you went in there. You had to go in there with, with a sacrifice. Now, <clears throat> but do you know where the temple of God is today? There's no temple in Jerusalem. It's gone. Do you know where the temple of God is in this age? Here. There. You are the temple of the living God. I think if we would dwell on that truth for a while, we would have no problem with this issue of separation. Because we are the temple of the living God. Dwells in me. Read the Old, Pastor, Old Testament passages. Re read about Uzzah, who, who, who touched the Ark of the Covenant and dropped down dead. Read about the people who, who looked into the ark and 50,000 people died. Listen, <clears throat> you are the temple of the living God. He dwells in you. That's real. You don't play with that. You don't mess with that. You have the Spirit of God in you to enable you to live different. To enable you to live like a child of God. To enable you to actually be all that God would have you to be. Don't mess with that. That's important. That's really important. You know, if people died in the Old Testament uh, because of a disregard for the temple, do you think that couldn't happen to you? Listen, be careful of this thing. You see, God wants you, and he's put his spirit in you, and you're the temple of the living God. Uh, you need to recognize that you're different. And then he says, Be separate from the world. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He wants you to come out from the world and be separate, his. Now, he doesn't want you to do what the Jews did, what the Pharisees did. You know, where they made themselves different but they were really separated unto themselves and their difference. He doesn't want that from you. What he wants is he wants you to come out from the world and be separated unto him. He wants you to come out from the world and be distinctly his. In your heart, in your life, in your actions, in what you do. He wants you to come out from the world and be his. Now, <clears throat> why are we drawn to the world anyway? Because it's fun, isn't it? This looks like fun. The Bible says there's a pleasure in sin for a season. It looks like the, the world has what we need sometimes, doesn't it? 
It looks like the world could actually satisfy us sometimes. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, <clears throat> admitting it's not, 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 not a problem, not admitting it's probably more of a problem. And it looks like this, the world has what we want and has what we need. And God says, I know, but come out from among them and be ye separate anyway. Walk away from it. Now, does that mean that you're not supposed to have friends who are unsaved? No. But if you've got friends who are unsaved, you know what your heart towards them is? You want them saved. That's your heart towards them. That's what you're doing there. You want them saved. And you know, there's fellowship you can't have with unsaved people. There, there, there's there's a, a level of fellowship that you just can't have with them. What you've got to do is you've got to dumb it down. The two two rivers <clears throat> that run into each other uh, in the U.S. <clears throat> and um, one river is all stirred up and muddy and one river is crystal clear. Now, <clears throat> they run into each other and they meet and they travel on. Now, you've got a clear river and you've got a muddy river. They come in together and they travel on. Is it a clear river that travels on or a muddy river? That's a muddy river, isn't it? You know what? When it comes to unsafe people, if you go with them and go with all they're doing and let them influence you and, and follow after them and aren't separate, you know, you, you're going to find yourself in muddy waters. That's just the, that's just the way. Listen, <clears throat> it's just the reality of life. If you're going to have an influence on them, you're going to be separate. You're going to be separated unto him. But, <clears throat> but he says, be separate from the world. Don't touch the unclean thing. Oh, there's all kinds of uncleanness out there. Listen, our world is so unclean that, the, that, that some of the stuff in the world looks clean by comparison to others. But you know what? It's not for you. You're his. He wants you. You're his peculiar treasure. He wants you. Look at our last point. <clears throat> and I will receive you. Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Um, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God says, I will be a father unto you, and you're going to be my sons and daughters. Now look, you're saved, <clears throat> you're born again, you're his child, you're his son. But <clears throat> do you know there's deeper, closer relationships that you can have with And what he's talking about here is, what he wanted for the nation of Israel. See, he always wanted Israel to be separate from the world unto him so that he could be a father unto them, so that he could bless them. And whenever they were, he did. Under David, they were blessed. Nobody could take them. Nobody could take them on and win. David could beat down everybody around. Why? Because God. God was fighting their wars for them. And you, you can look back in history under Moses. Same thing. Joshua, same thing. You know, because uh, God was being a father to them. But when they would pull away and align themselves with the world, he would stop taking care of them in the way that he wanted to. And that's exactly what he does with us, his children, too. God says, listen, you choose. You separate yourself from the world and you separate yourself unto me and I will be a father to you. I will take care of you. I will look after your needs. And he says, and if you don't and you want to go it alone, then go it alone. Won't stop loving you. You won't be lost and go to hell. 
But you know what? You won't have the blessing in your life that you used to have. And he gives you the choice. See, it's always a choice with God. He's giving you your free will, and he's always giving you a choice. He's letting you choose what you want to do. Now, here's the question as we close. How much do you want him? How much do you want him? Do you, <clears throat> you know, do you want the world and the fun it offers? Or do you want him? I don't think I have to convince anybody in this room that choosing him is the best thing. I think if you know anything of God, if you've tasted it all of God, you know that God is the way to go. I don't think I have to convince you of that. But you know what happens in our hearts? In our hearts we go back and we go forward. We go back and we go forward because we can see the world has what we want sometimes and we want it. And if I choose him, I'll have to leave it behind. Listen, leave it behind, choose him and no blessing because he's able to bless the choice is yours. The choice is yours. What do you want? Do you want what the world has to offer? Or do you want what he has to offer? For me? Lord, help me. I'm choosing him. I want what he has to offer all the way. Make the right choice, too. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you for wanting to be a father to us. Thank you for the blessing that you pour out upon us. Now, Lord, we want to choose you today. Would you help your people? Lord, would you work in our hearts, Lord? Or would you help each one to make that choice to choose you? With every head bowed and every eye closed, just between you and God, why don't you make that choice right now? Say, Lord, I'm choosing you. You may not be strong enough. You may not be able, but he is. You choose, and he will help you. As the piano plays quietly, you just talk to God and tell him you're choosing him. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your work in hearts and lives. Lord, would you help us, Lord? May this week be a different week because we've chosen you and put you first. And Lord, we are a weak people. Would you demonstrate your power to bless? And would you convince hearts that are weak in Jesus' precious name? Amen.